Greetings and salutations to everybody out there in podcast land. This is the Judo Chop Suey Podcast, and I'm your host, Judo Dave Roman. Thank you once again for checking out the podcast, for tuning in or streaming or however it is that you listen to it. I greatly appreciate it and all of you. On this episode of the Judo Chop Suey Podcast, I'm going to talk a lot about the Paris Grand Slam. It is, as I've talked about before, one of the biggest events on the IJF calendar, and this one did not disappoint by any means. I'm also going to talk about the Marius Visor Q&A. In my opinion, this was probably one of the most interesting Q&As that he's had in quite some time. At least interesting to me. I don't know what what uh, the rest of you felt about it, but there are some, some uh, questions and responses that I thought were fascinating, at least to me anyway. And I definitely have some commentary based on some of his answers, plus commentary on some of the, uh, really all of the, ma- not all of them, but some of the matches that I saw at the Paris Grand Slam, particularly every gold medal uh, match. So there's that. There's some promotion news by some people well known to all of you and people not known to all of you that I want to get out of the way as well. And some other judo-related news items that piqued my interest over the past couple of weeks. I was hoping to get this episode out the day after the Paris Grand Slam ended, but I, I just couldn't get it done. I couldn't get it finished, so I apologize about that. It's Valentine's Day week, and guys, I don't know if I've ever ranted about this before. Valentine's Day is the most unromantic holiday of the year. It's it's a farce, and I can't stand it. But like a chump, I'm going to go out and get my wife some flowers and maybe... A gift of some sort because you know what? Nothing says romance and spontaneity quite like setting aside a single day of the year where you are expected to do something. (laughs) All right, that's it for that. So before I get into the specific judo news, I want to give a shout out to two of my clubmates at Ybor City Jiu-Jitsu. Jake Hager, otherwise known as Jack Swagger in the WWE Won his Bellator MMA debuts uh, uh, several weeks ago against uh, a fellow by the name of J.W. Kaiser. No relation to Judo Joe Kaiser. Just getting that out there. And you know, I, I watched that match live. It was the first time I've ever watched a Bellator event. I got to tell you, they they do a really good job. I know I know the UFC is king, but but they've really put together a, a, a good product. And I, I don't know about the rest of you guys. I love Jay Glazer. I think he's great on the Fox NFL on Fox, and I thought he was fantastic uh, doing the Bellator MMA coverage. So congratulations to Jake. Obviously, being a wrestling fan, I'm a big fan of his from his days in the uh, WWE and, and Lucha Underground. But but I, I don't know him as Jack Swagger. I really only know him as Jake, and you know we've conversed a few times. He's a really good guy, and um, it was great seeing the club represented on Bellator. And I also want to give a special shout-out to... Alon Cruz. Now, I don't actually know Alon personally, but I know that he had a, he was, I believe, the main event at the National Fighting Championships up in Atlanta. Now, admittedly, I didn't see the fight. I know it was streaming, but I I probably was, I I don't know what I was doing, but uh, actually, I do know what I was doing. I was prepping the podcast, so... (laughs) So I know he got the win up in uh, up in Atlanta with the NFC Fighting uh, promotion. So congratulations to you, Elon. I doubt you'll hear this anyway because you don't listen to this podcast. But if you do, that's cool either way. All right, moving along. I want to bring your attention to a new judo-related website that 
the site creator brought to my attention about a month or so ago, and it's called fantasyjudo.com. Now, I want to make it absolutely clear that I'm not some paid shill for this. It's just something that I wanted to share with my audience. And I and somebody as somebody that loves daily fantasy sports, I'm I'm a degenerate gambler, if you want to call me that. I mean, I I, I would put money on cockroach races if I could. But with fantasyjudo.com, you don't have to pay any money. It's, it's so so the format is similar to daily fantasy sports. If you guys ever play on DraftKings or or FanDuel, I'm on DraftKings at La Vida Judoka. So if you want to friend me on there as well, you you go right ahead. You want to challenge me head-to-head in NBA, you go right ahead, but I'm only playing micro games, no more than a dollar, because as I've said it many times before, I'm cheap. Anyway, the idea of Fantasy Judo is that for every event throughout the the, the calendar, you can put together your, your fantasy team of judoka, and you're given a, a limit in terms of how much, uh, for lack of a better term, money you get to spend on having... Uh, on choosing competitors based on on the weight categories and and such so it's an interesting concept it's fun you know especially and this is what makes the daily fantasy sports so much fun especially if you if you watch the sports that you are uh quote unquote betting on you you it gives you a, a vested interest in the athletes that you're picking on your team so for example at the paris grand slam if if for example well actually no i'll use a different example like Clarissa Begnenu, if if I wanted her on my fantasy team and and she's going to compete at the Paris Grand Slam, I could pick her, and if she ends up with gold, which I, I believe she did, that's a little spoiler, that's going to give you a certain amount of points toward your ranking in the Fantasy Judo League. And if this was DraftKings for money, it, it would give you points toward uh, earning a, a real dollar value prize. So the website is www.fantasy-judo.com. The dash is important because if you go to fantasyjudo.com, I don't know where it's going to take you, uh, and I'm not responsible if it takes you someplace where uh, that is not safe for work. So you got to make sure you got the dash in between the fantasy and the judo. Now I've already been in contact with the with the site owner. Uh, I'm not sure if I want to give his name out on the podcast, but. I gave him some suggestions on how he could uh, improve the site. I, I think, you know, I, I don't know if I should talk critically here since it's such a new thing. You know, I, I don't think I will. But if you have critiques on the site, you can always email uh, the admin of the site. It's like admin at fantasy-judo.com. That's the, that's the email address. And I believe that he's got a, a, a Twitter called Fantasy Judo as well. I'm sure if you did a search on Twitter or Fantasy Judo that you could find some information there. So I know I've already been in touch with him and, and gave him my ideas and thoughts based on the years of losing money on <laughs> DraftKings. So, I mean, God, I even, I even struck out on the Super Bowl. It was pathetic. I want to take a moment to acknowledge some promotions on the Judo Chop Suey podcast. Well, we're moving on now, I'd like to start with the Paris Grand Slam, which I'm going to cover the results of this event later on in the episode. But first things first, the voice of Judo, Mr. Neil Adams, formally received his ninth on promotion at the Paris Grand Slam in front of a crowd of 15,000 people. 
Now, the news was announced back in mid-December that he that he was going to get promoted by the International Judo Federation, but he was not formally promoted or, or formally given his certificate of promotion until uh, this event, which happened, I believe, uh, earlier today, which by today I'm talking about February 10th. This, this is the date that I'm recording this segment of the podcast. And he was not the only one to to be promoted by the International Judo Federation. Teddy Renair got his sixth Don promotion as well, and he addressed the crowd. This happened yesterday on the 9th, and from what I understand, based on the story in judo on judoinside.com, I, I guess this was a surprise to him. He didn't know it was coming, but my goodness, if you're the greatest competitive judoka in history... Um, he certainly deserves this promotion for sure. I mean, if there's, if there's anybody deserving, it's got to be him, right? And now I got I got to say, Teddy is looking really big these days. And when I mean big, I mean like 50 to 60 pounds heavier big. In the story on JudoInside.com, he talks about uh, his preparation for the Tokyo Games. He stated that he resumed training three weeks ago, which does not mean that he's going to compete in this year's World Championships. I think he's going to be taking the, the rest of the year off. I know I reported this last year, probably early in the year if I recall correctly, that Teddy Renner was skipping the 2018 Worlds and the 2019 Worlds. So... He and his coach must have a plan for the Tokyo Olympics, and I, I got to believe, based on Teddy's weight, uh, part of that plan is uh, pushing away from the dinner table and saying, I'm full, because that he's he's got to lose some pounds for sure. Now, when he was speaking in front of the crowd, he did say that he was going to compete in the uh, 2020 Paris Grand Slam, which, you know, again, you know, I was listening to... The original judo podcast the other day, they were talking a little bit about Teddy Renner, and I agree with James and Chris on this point, that at some point, Teddy's going to have to compete. And I'm still a little surprised that it seems like the plan is for him to skip the 2019 calendar altogether, but I don't know. If he's going to if he's gonna skip out on Worlds, I mean, maybe maybe he should show up at the at the the Tokyo Grand Slam or something at the end of the year. He's he, can he really go all year again without competing? I, I I don't know. And can he get all those points that he needs to qualify for the Olympics? I I don't know. He's getting up there in age, and maybe deep down he truly believes there's nobody in in his weight division that can beat him. And you know that certainly says a lot about his confidence, but. I don't know. As a, as a professional athlete, essentially taking two years off when you're not injured, that 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 that's that's a long time. I mean, every time Michael Jordan came back from retirement, which is I believe it was two times, he did not look very good coming back right out of the gate. And I know Teddy Renner cares about his unbeaten streak. He has to, right? I mean, he didn't tell me that personally, but he's got to. So I'd kind of be curious to know if he'd be okay with a loss on his resume. And the thing is, is that in front of his home crowd, he put the rest of the division on notice stating that, um, and I quote, I will be back in front of you to add a new Grand Slam title to my list in 2020. I mean, that's that's either uh, confidence or arrogance. I don't I don't know when when you separate the two, but or if the two can be separated. But that's that's a pretty incredible statement. So there you have it. Uh, Mr. Neil Adams uh, formally given his ninth on and. Uh, Mr. Teddy Renner, the greatest uh, competitive judoka in history, uh, given his sixth on well-deserved. And now I want to get to two other promotions. 
And while these people may not be nearly as famous as Teddy Renair or Neil Adams, they are very near and dear to my heart, and that's because they're listeners. And I've said it before many times, if you guys get promoted and you want to share that with me, I'm going to talk about it on the podcast because I really value each and every one of you who tune into this this podcast. And when you guys share uh, good news with me, I want to share it with the rest of the judo world that listens to this thing. So here I go. A listener by the name of uh, Saiwasan had sent me a, an, an IM on Facebook and he let me know that he got promoted to Shodan. He is a listener that lives out in uh, uh, Thailand, in Bangkok, if you can believe that. Well, I'm sure you guys can believe it, but I can't believe it sometimes how the, the reach of this podcast and modern technology that somebody all the way out in Thailand is listening to this thing. So, Saiwasan, I, I hope I got your name right. I really appreciate you being a loyal listener, and I want to congratulate you uh, on your promotion to Shodan. I also received an email from a listener who, who writes, What's up, broski? He says he lost his most recent Shi'i and he just got promoted to green belt. Uh, been training sh- just shy of one year and already a green belt. Is that normal? Uh, yes, it is normal there, anonymous emailer. And congratulations to you. Hopefully you listen to this podcast and know that I am talking about you. I did re- write back to you directly, so... Congratulations. A green belt is obviously a big deal. Every Q, every Q promotion is a big deal. You're one step away from Sankyu, which I've said many times on this podcast that I think that Sankyu is the most important uh, Q rank in terms of promotion. So, you know, keep working at it. He finishes the email by, by stating, uh, I don't know how many emails you get from people uh, who you help get started, but thanks a bunch for everything. Uh, the way you talk about subjects is so ex- inviting. Thanks, bro. Hey, and thank you for listening. And thank you to all of you for listening and writing. Uh, I really appreciate all your email. Uh, if you want to write to me, tell me about a promotion, telling telling me about uh, how training's been going to you, or just just let me know that you appreciate the podcast or you hate my guts. You can email me at uh, judochopsuishow at gmail.com. You can follow me on Instagram, which is at judoka. My Instagram is awesome. You can also follow me on Twitter at Lavita Judoka, and you can find the podcast uh, Facebook page by searching for Judo Chop Sui Podcast. I, I don't think there's anywhere else that you can follow me uh, unless you drive all the way down to where I live and start stalking me day and night. But uh, oh, that's right. Speaking of. Uh, email and contacting me and stuff i did get a message uh on instagram which guys unless you follow me and i'm not begging for followers but unless you follow me writing to me on instagram is probably the worst way to get a hold of me because if you don't follow me then you the way that i get messages on instagram they appear in like this this separate queue where where i'm not notified so Sometimes I get I, I get messages on Instagram and and you guys aren't following me or and and they just end up in this queue and the reason why it's set up that way is because I get a ton of spam from bots or whatever or I love uh, I love it when these beautiful women send me messages and it's just a link to a, a website that ends in .ru now listen I am never going to click on any link that ends in .ru I, I don't want to go to your Russian website. I don't know what kind of filth I'm going to be forced to see if I click on that link. 
I don't know what kind of information you're going to glean off my laptop if I go to a website that ends in .ru. And I don't want to hear, the only, even Google.ru, I'm not going to your site. So stop sending me those messages. All right, anyway, I did get a message from a listener asking me about my thoughts on how to run a class and uh, well and drill for kids or he was asking me how to run a, a kids class for judo now I am going to take this moment to announce an interview that will be coming up in the next episode of my podcast not this one because I didn't really have time to set it up and now that I'm announcing it it's going to give me it, it's going to force me to actually do the interview sooner than later so I am going to have as a special guest on my next podcast uh, Mr. James Wall of Wall to Wall Martial Arts. He has a he is a fantastic judo sensei that runs a fantastic uh, kids class. And I met James at JudoCon, and he was he was the person that conducted my test for Nidon. So when he talked about uh, he or at JudoCon, he talked a lot about running a judo club and and how to run a kids class, and he came up with a lot of great ideas. And uh, games for kids that I have never seen before, but but they they're, they're really ingenious, or is it just genius? I don't know what ingenious is, so sorry about that. So on the next episode of my podcast, you guys are going to learn all about how to run a kids class effectively and how to run a judo club as a business. Because I'm going to get into the nitty gritty on some of these kind of things, and I am hoping that James will will expand a little bit on some of the topics that he covered. Uh, when he gave his presentation in JudoCon. So it's definitely going to be a must-listen. And I'm also going to put myself on the clock as well here. I'm also going to have Steve Scott come on a future episode as well very soon. Now, Steve has authored a book called The Judo Advantage, Controlling Movement with Modern Kinesiology for All Grappling Styles. And this book is available on Amazon.com. It has not been released yet, but it is available for pre-order. I've already got my pre-order in. I think I did it for Kindle. Uh, because I really like the Kindle apps and I, I'm starting to take advantage of uh, some of the gift cards that I've received <laughs> over the past uh, you know, few months or whatever for, for Christmas and stuff. So I'm going to have Steve Scott come on the podcast very soon so he can talk about what's going on uh, in his life, but, but specifically about uh, his new book. So I encourage all of you to pre-order his book. I'm sure it's going to be an excellent one. And personally, I find I find the kinesiology of judo and brazilian jiu-jitsu to be fascinating it's kind of what drives me these days in terms of how i train and how i uh, uh, approach practice you know the movement of uh, of judo and of brazilian jiu-jitsu and mastering those movements for my aging body more or less so i'm looking forward to that and i can't wait to to have those uh, two guests on my podcast now, here's a bit of news that I found really interesting, and I read this article on judoinside.com, and as I've said it before, I'll say it again. If you're not reading judoinside.com, what the hell is the matter with you? So the headline of the article is, Junior weight categories under 44 kilo and under 55 kilo canceled immediately. I'm not going to read the entire article, but I am going to get to some of the highlights of the article. But it starts off going like this. The junior categories, men under 55 kilo and women under 44 kilo will be canceled in all events. All technical directors and coaches were officially informed about the new measure. A very drastic rule for all athletes in these categories. For all young athletes such as first year juniors or last year cadets, 
These categories are perfect divisions to adjust to a higher level in the future and perhaps in their second year. The gap of 4 to 5 kilos is quite a leap at that age as physical condition is what they lack in those early years. The measures seem to be taken to prevent youngsters to drop weight for too long to stay in their category, but this is applicable for each category. Uh, the article continues to give examples of juniors, which I'm not going to, to read all the names here, uh, but it continues stating, however, the timing is hard as for instance, world champion uh, Totokoro is just 18, same for Brazilian Arias, although they are su super talents. There are enough Neo Juniors who will find it hard to make weight to fight in a higher category and create the same physical conditions. The same counts for the young men who won medals at the last Junior World Championships in Nassau. Uh, let's see here. Especially countries like Azerbaijan, Kazakhstan, and Japan have a wealthy choice of developing talented lightweights. Let's see. Let's see. The article continues on. A measure prepared over a longer term of is, is acceptable, but all of a sudden now athletes will miss their physics to play a part in the under 60 or under 48 kilos. This will undermine the chance for an optimal road for talents to reach a senior category under 60. Uh, it will definitely cause damage to their experience, having told this decision the week this week while St. Petersburg is in less than three weeks' time. So, all right, so I'm, I'm not going to continue reading the rest of the article. I, I'll link it to it on the show notes if you guys are interested. Long story short, which that wasn't a long story, but you get what I mean. For anybody that coaches juniors, uh, the under 44 kilo and under 55 kilo divisions are going away. That much you guys need to be aware of. I have to believe that's going to trickle down to the national and local level, even though this article... Uh, on judoinside.com was specific to to the, the international level, but I gotta believe those these changes will trickle down. And I do have to agree. If if this is Hans that wrote this article, I do have to agree that regardless of their reasons, and I'm sure their reasons are very good uh, for getting rid of these uh, the divisions, especially if they have concerns. Uh, over the health of the junior athletes. But regardless of those reasons, there should have been a longer preparation time because this does impact a lot of of top-level juniors and cadets that now have to jump all the way up to the next division. And that that's a big deal. So should the, the world champion for under 55 kilos have to jump uh, another 5 kilos to be able to compete in the under... Uh, 60 kilos, especially when you got guys in the under 60 kilo division that are cutting weight. Uh, maybe they're cutting, you know, three to five kilos just to get down to the under 60 kilo division. So that's a huge change to make in such a short amount of time. And while I'm not really a proponent of kids uh, cutting weight to make certain divisions, I mean, look, I, I, admittedly, I'm ignorant on how to cut weight properly and such. But I know there are many people that could back up my opinion. And I know there's many people out there that can that can counter my opinion on that. And, and they say that weight cutting is fine at that age. I tend to think the, the IJF made the right decision here. Uh, that, that's just my opinion. But I think the execution of this decision is lacking. I mean, now you've got, you've, you've got uh, a lot of competitors left out in the cold basically and unable to be able to effectively uh, compete at at uh, you know under uh, 
60 kilos and under 48 kilos. That That's a big jump. So regardless of my thoughts, uh, that's exactly what's going to happen. So coaches, anybody that listens that has juniors or, or cadets that compete, uh, uh, be aware that that these two divisions, the under 44 and under 55, uh, will no longer exist at the, at the highest levels. The president of the International Judo Federation, Marius Weiser, held his first Twitter Q&A of the year. Now, for those of you who may not be familiar, Mr. Visor tends to hold these Q&As at, at right around um, some of the major events on the IGF World Tour, and the Paris Grand Slam is certainly one of the biggest events of the calendar year. It probably is only eclipsed by the World Championships, in my opinion. And every time I, he has one of these uh, Twitter Q&As, I always make sure that I ask a pertinent question. I, I never ask about leg grabs. I mean, come on, guys, really? <laughs> Undoubtedly, there's some of you out there still asking the question. But regardless of that, I am going to to cover some of the questions and responses that he had. I thought it was an interesting q and I'm going to start with my question, which I asked him, Mr. Pfizer, what are your thoughts on the Tel Aviv Grand Prix in terms of planning, preparation, and execution? Uh, from my viewpoint, it was a great event. Now, before I get to his answer, I wanted to say that I did not cover the, the Tel Aviv Grand Prix in this episode. I wanted to cover it. I just couldn't find the time to cover it right after the event ended. So I decided to bypass covering the results of that event. But I must say... The Tel Aviv Grand Prix was a fantastic event. And go watch the under 81 kilo finals with uh, Sagi Muki of Israel in, in the final. And that crowd sound like a, sounded like a WWE wrestling crowd. I mean, it was incredible. The, the, the energy and the passion from the fan base there. It's, it, it was really unlike anything that I have ever seen and heard before on the IJF World Tour. So getting back to the... Uh, response, uh, Mr. Visor stated that the Tel Aviv Grand Prix was one of our best events in recent times. I, I agree. A part, of the great, uh, a part of the great organization, the spectacular atmosphere, gave a high value to the competition. And again, I agree. I, I just, if you want to watch some of the matches, especially of, uh, of the Israelis, who, have a, who has a very, very strong uh, competitive judo team, uh, it was a great event, and again, look no further than the under 81 kilo uh, uh, finals. Now, I got to say, I, look, I'm not going to cover the, the Tel Aviv Grand Prix. I was a little surprised to see uh, Tal Flicker did not even uh, get close to the medal stand in that event, considering that was his home country. I mean, that was probably the biggest surprise for me in that event. Um Majlinda Kelmendi made her return and she was dominant as always. But look, I'm not look, I'm not gonna talk about the Tel Aviv Grand Prix, but go watch it if you're interested. Anyway, continuing on. Now speaking of uh, Sagi Muki, I was just talking about him. Here's a fantastic question from at T Woods two fifty. He goes, Hi, what is your opinion of world number one Saeed Molai of Iran losing on purpose to world ranked two oh nine Russian uh, Musayev to avoid a match against Israel's Sagi Muki. This appears to be the third time Malai has done this in recent tournaments. Uh, Mr. Visor responds, we will seriously analyze the case because it is not easy to explain from the methodolo methodological point of 
how the athlete lost the contest. It's a very complex situation. To be honest, a part of the sports impact sometimes in the life you have to consider a lot of different aspects. The risk and precaution for the family members and himself, the contradiction between the wish of our athletes and the system where he belongs, as well you know that as an individual to break a system, especially in his country, is nearly impossible. From a sport and fairness point of view, we will soon analyze the situation being convinced to find the fair solution. Now, I just want to make sure that you guys know that wasn't a single tweet. That was a series of tweet responses to the uh, original question. Now, truth be told, I was not aware of Saeed Molai losing to a low-ranking competitor. And I was not aware of the allegations that are being insinuated here by at T Woods 250 uh, about uh, Molai trying to avoid facing Sagi Muki. I hope that's not really the case. But I have to believe from an outsider's perspective, uh, perception is reality in this case. And for Molai to appearing to have lost uh, three diff- on three different other occasions to avoid fighting an Israeli, in this case, Sagi Muki, that's not a good thing. And that's not good for the sport. And I hope the International Judo Federation investigates this thoroughly because what you don't want to see here is Molai taking this action all on his own to make some kind of point against Israel. And I think in the best case scenario here that he is being forced to do this because of the political issues between high-ranking officials of Israel and Iran. Now, I did see the match in question that happened at the Paris Grand Slam, and it, look, it's obvious to me that Molai is not acting on his own regarding this issue. He was clearly upset. And and the match was a really a disgrace to competitive judo, to, if, I'm, if I'm being honest here. Because there was no real gripping, no defense. And uh, Musayev just basically did a uh, Sayoyatoshi. And uh, Molai just ended up right on his back. No real effort to, to avoid that throw. And he was in tears. I mean, it certainly looked that way in the video that he was in tears over it. And it's it's a shame because this uh, Molai is fantastic. I I want to see him in the finals, and and he wants to win. And and I'm sure that he wants to represent uh, Iran and represent himself and, and and be a proud countryman and be proud fighting for his country. But when he's being told to act. In, in, a, in any way other than being the best that he can be. It, it must be a real blow. The match was a farce. I mean, look, as crazy as this sounds, how do we know the Grand Ayatollah of Iran is not demanding that an Iranian does not fight a Israeli? And sad to say, what is unthinkable to really most of you that listen to this podcast could be a, a, a reality in, in, in other countries. So I'm sure the International Judo Federation is looking at this case and they are going to take it seriously. I know uh, Mr. Visor has worked very hard to try and thaw some of those icy relations between um, certain countries and Israel. And I uh, expect that he will continue to, to work very hard in that regard. Now here's another fascinating question by at uh, Fater Fight Gear. He asked, sir, looking at the female heavyweight judo today, 
is it time to add an additional weight class for those athletes that are very much over 78 kilos? Uh, Mr. Visor responds, we are studying this case. Now, for us U.S. Americans that don't know what 78 kilos is, that's approximately 172 pounds. So I think that's a really good question, and I think that would make sense uh, because certainly a lot of these ladies competing in the over 78 kilo division have got to be, at least they look it anyway, and I don't mean this in a in a negative or disparaging way, but they, they, they look over 100 kilos, some of them. But to me, I, I don't know if that's really necessary because if you if you add a division after 78 kilos, couldn't you just make the argument that there needs to be a, another division uh, over 100 kilos? Now, I suppose that would make sense if, for example, the average weight in the over 78 kilos uh, division is about 100 kilos. Then maybe you need another division as a as an in-between. And I, I would make the same argument on the men's side as well. If, you know, if after, if the average weight of the plus 100 kilos is, is more like 130 kilos, then, then maybe you would need another division uh, in between, you know, that number and, and something else, whatever they decide. But I don't know if there's enough athletes in either of the plus divisions to, to warrant another division, but it, that's an interesting point. I never really gave it much thought until I read this uh, this tweet. At S Zandra sixty three asks, uh, Mr. President, we saw two athletes representing Jamaica at the IJF World Tour for the first time this weekend. What are your thoughts on the development of judo on the island so far? Uh, Mr. Visor responds, We have since last period a strategy of how to support some of the Caribbean islands, and Jamaica is one of them where the IJF supports totally the participation of the Jamaican judoka and IJF events. Well, that's great. I seem to recall a few years ago um, reading a story on how Jamaica was trying to become a more uh, or, or stronger in judo and, and, and get somebody up on the tour. It, it looks like they finally have. So that, that's really fantastic. I don't Congratulations to them. I, I, I mean that. I, I don't know. I don't know who the the Jamaican coaches are, but uh, they've got to be very proud to get somebody on the tour. I mean that that's that's a tremendous accomplishment, especially for a country whose primary re, uh, revenue streams is well, I, I would venture to guess largely based on tourism. So that's fantastic. So uh, congratulations again to Jamaica. Moving along, at Garmami asks, uh, as president of the IGF, what is your most challenging aspect of your job? Uh, what is the most rewarding? Uh, Mr. Visa responds, the most challenging is to do always better and better. The most rewarding part is to give hundreds of thousands of people who do judo the right to education and the chance to be champions in life. That's a, that's a great response. Now, speaking of thousands upon thousands of people, I saw a response uh, from a question. Let me see if I can find it here. All right, let's see. Da, da, da. Scroll around. Okay, here it is. Uh, Mongol Judo. So I think the official Twitter of Mongolian Judo. Uh, do you know how many judokas or members of the judo family uh, around the world? Uh, Mr. Visor responds, more than 40 million people practice judo around the world. Uh, that is an outstanding number. Again, I've said this countless times that I would like to see official figures as to how you get that number. I mean, that's an unbelievable number, uh, and I kind of say that quite literally. <laughs> 
Now, I want to get to one more question, and this is also by at Garmami. I just read another question of his. He asks, uh, what is the IJF's audience development strategy for the North American market, particular with millennials and Generation Z? Uh, Mr. Visor responds, at the moment, Canada is very involved in the Judah development, making a lot of effort and being successful on the IGF tour. We will utilize this. This contrasts to the United States, a country with huge potential, but not doing the same. Wow. Yeah. So let that bomb drop sink in for just a moment because the president of the International Judo Federation just put USA Judo on blast. And look, I'm not going to go off half cocked like against USA Judo like I have before, but I think, well, let's just say I do have some opinions on what I'm seeing and what I'm not seeing. And I and I think my opinions are going to be pretty fair and I'll, I won't go drone on and on about this but i i just i'm i'm not seeing anything different from usa judo i mean it it doesn't mean that nothing's happening but i i'm just not seeing it so take this for example i i follow the uh usa judo on twitter and they are one of the few accounts that i have the highlighted the the little uh, alert so anytime usa judo puts out a tweet i get an alert so the last thing i'm seeing here is USA Judo's event, if you want to call it that, the Tri Judo for Free event coming up over President's Day weekend, which that that would be the weekend of uh, let's see, the 16th through the 18th. So the idea is that people who may be interested in judo, they can bring a friend, or it, the idea is to bring people into your judo club so they can try judo for free. But here's the thing. In all the years that I've been doing judo, I have yet to meet the one instructor that charges people to do judo on their very first class. So, I mean, what's the point here? I mean, it doesn't, what, what does that mean? I, I don't know. I, I don't know what to make of this. It's just like, what? Great. You know, you can bring people for free on President's Day weekend. How is that different than any other weekend of the year? It isn't. So when I look at the, the 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 Twitter account and I go through, you know, I keep scrolling down and down to see previous tweets and stuff. There's a lot of tweets, you know, you know, wishing certain athletes good luck on on uh, certain events. They they a lot of news, a lot of motivational type stuff. But you know what I'm not seeing? I'm not seeing tweets that say the CEO of USA Judo is having a meeting with uh, Mr. Marius Visor to talk about judo's growth in the United States. I'm not seeing those kind of tweets. I'm not seeing tweets where certain representatives of USA Judo are meeting with representatives of what's the organization? Judo Canada. That's the main organization from what I understand up in Canada for, for judo. So I'm left wondering... Like, what's the plan? I, again, I'm, I, I don't know what the long-term plan and vision of judo in the United States is from that level. What What is USA Judo's plan? Because whatever they're doing, I mean, I really don't know. But And again, look, I know there's a lot of people volunteering. I know there's a lot of people working hard. But USA Judo needs help and they need fresh ideas. And I don't think 
USA Judo should limit themselves as to where they get these ideas. So I, why not have a sit down with the with the the head of Judo Canada or or the head of the Cuban Judo Federation or the head of the uh, Judo in Brazil? I, I mean, why not build those kind of relationships? Because my goodness, if USA Junior up north can figure out how to run a Judo. <laughs> I'm kidding. You guys are not. Canada is not USA Junior. I, I'm I'm kidding about that. But yeah, here I'm. I'm gonna get a bunch of emails saying, "Hey, you calling us Junior? You there, Hoser? Hey." Anyway, sorry about that, Canada. You know I love you guys. But Canada is getting a Grand Prix, and I don't think the United States is anywhere close to getting any sort of IJF World Tour event. I mean, Mexico's got one. Canada's got one. And meanwhile. The United States, with all its resources, all its bright people, all its enthusiastic people for judo, can't can't seem to to, to figure it out. I, I don't I don't know if it's an issue of people that have been in positions of power for so long are are so entrenched that they're not willing to change. I, I I'm not accusing anybody. I just don't know. And you know, when I read the tweet earlier about Jamaica sending athletes over. To compete in an IJF World Tour event, I mean, when it comes down to it, Jamaica is not that far behind from the United States. And meanwhile, we have far more resources than Jamaica. Jamaica is is financially supporting two of their athletes to go overseas to compete. And USA Judo, from what I understand, is funding three athletes. Something's not adding up there. All right, so the Paris Grand Slam happened over the weekend of... February 9th and 10th, and I've talked a little bit about this already on this episode, but I want to get into some of the results and some of the news items related to the Paris Grand Slam, things that stuck out to me, and as usual, uh, just full disclosure, I did not watch every single match at the Paris Grand Slam, and it certainly looked like a lot of the people in attendance did not either, because I tell you what, toward the end of the day of... uh, Day two in the plus 100 kilo finals, I saw a lot of empty seats. And that's not something that's really common, I suppose, because Teddy Renner was not fighting. Uh, no, I guess a lot of people ended up leaving. I, I don't know why, but uh, maybe they're just really terrible fans. <laughs> kidding, I'm kidding, I'm kidding. All right, so some of the things that stuck out to me. There was a total of 570 competitors across 97 countries. That's an outstanding number. That's a huge number. That is 167 more competitors than there were at this event last year. And just kind of to put it in perspective, there was probably about 330 uh, total competitors at the 2016 Rio Games. Now, I understand you know, not everybody that competes on the world tour actually goes to the Olympics, but I just wanted to give some, uh, you know, kind of a contrast as to the size of this event. It is definitely, in my opinion, apart from the world championships, the biggest event of the year. It's kind of like the, the equivalent of the Daytona 500 in NASCAR. And what I mean by that is that the biggest event of the year typically takes place uh, at the beginning of the year. And, and and for judo, that's the Paris Grand Slam. Now, some of the notable people that I was hoping to see or or didn't know, because I, I don't follow news around the world, but there are some competitors that I, I was hoping to see, and they ended up not being at the competition. Obviously, starting with Teddy Renner, but as we all know, he's been taking a break, and he's looking to 
to uh, get back into the Marrakesh uh, Grand Prix. That's my understanding. Uh, Frank DeWitt was not there. I, I believe he might be injured. Guram Tushishvili did not compete. Anbal, Uta Abe, Dara uh, Bilodid, uh, Gushte Steenhuis, uh, Majlinda Kelmendi, Sarah Asahina. All of those names are names that I typically look for at these big events, and they were not there for whatever reason. Another big surprise for me is that there was not one medal earned by Brazil. I mean, I'm, I'm so used to seeing Brazil up in the medal stand in at least one weight division, whether that's men's or women's, but um, that's surprising to me considering they sent a total of 14 athletes. That's just a, not a good day for Brazil. Uh, the United States did not do well as usual at these big events. They didn't garner a fifth place or a seventh place finish in case you were wondering. But if you contrast that with Canada, um, they came away with a gold, a silver, a fifth place, and a seventh place finish. And like I said before, I love Canada dry. So getting into some of the results of the weight categories, the under 60 kilo division was won by Naohisa Takato defeating Yeldo Smedov of Kazakhstan on a technique that I felt should have been called the pawn. But I can understand why it was called Wazari because uh, Smetov was so fast in getting off his back. It, it was very hard to see whether or not that was an actual Epon. But to me, it was. So I'm guessing maybe the ref was out of position. Man, I mean, these guys at the under 60 kilo division are so fast. It's, it's, it's unbelievable. It really is. It's, it's amazing to see. So with that, losing to Takato, Smetov earns a silver medal. Uh, the two bronze medal winners were Timur uh, Nazazdeh of Georgia and um, Dashtava of Mongolia took the other bronze. That's that's uh, uh, Amartushvin Dashtava because I know there's several Dashtavas for the Mongolian judo team. The under 66 kilo division had Denis Viru of Moldova defeating Vajra Margvelashvili of Georgia with a beautiful tie Toshi at about a minute and 30 into the contest. Uh, Zantaria took bronze and uh, Shmailov of Israel took the other bronze. Now, usually when we talk about the under 66 kilo division, I'm talking about Hifumi Abe winning gold. But in a shocker, Hifumi Abe lost in the second round to 19th ranked Manuel Lombardo of Italy uh, via Wazari Awaseti Ipon. Now, when looking at this match, the first Wazari was really curious to me because I'm not really quite sure what throw was accomplished there, but he did manage to roll Abe onto his back. Uh, but the second attack, no doubt about it. It, it was definitely uh, Wazari worthy uh, based on the current rule set. And Lombardo throughout the entire match, especially after he got that first Wazari, was very aggressive. He really, really took the fight to Abe, and it almost, almost seemed like Abe was a little bit unprepared. So Lombardo ended up uh, with the day uh, on the day with a fifth place finish. So that's a, it's a very good day for him, given given the uh, that division. In the under seventy three kilo division, there was really no surprise. Sochi Hashimoto defeated uh, Sendo Chir of Mongolia with a very nice Tayatoshi of his own. Not as nice as. Uh, Vieru's Tayatoshi uh, against Vili, but uh, still nice nonetheless. Uh, one of the bronze medal winners was Fabio Basile of Italy. And the other bronze medal was uh, Lasha, Lasha Vili of Georgia. Now, I got to say, Basile, the gold medal winner in the 2016 games, 
he has I, I know I've talked about this before. He's jumped up a weight category. He won the gold in the under 66 kilo division. He bumped up to the under 73 kilo division. Probably the right move for him because that under 66 kilo division is really stacked. And I don't see him having a chance against Abe in, in a in a major event, even though this is a major event and Abe lost in the second round. But I think you guys know what I mean. Abe has been really on a tear. And I think I would venture to guess that Basile probably thinks that he could fare better in under 73 kilos. And he's done quite well for himself. I don't think, unless he has a, a remarkable day like he did in the Olympics, I don't think I'll ever see him winning a gold medal at Worlds in this division. But but certainly um, he's very competitive and stays near the top. So I'm always I'm always on the lookout for him because I'll never forget that run he had in the Olympics. It was really a tremendous uh, moment. In the under one under eighty one kilo division, you had Dominic Russell of Germany defeating Sagi Muki of Israel via a technique that I'm not quite sure what you would want to call it. Uh, I guess you want to call it Tewaza. I like to call it Shaviwaza because that's exactly what happened. Now Sagi Muki had a very excellent uh, Osoto Gari that was called Wazari. I was surprised it didn't get called the pawn, but you know these days with the rules. Actually, the refs probably got that one right. Now that I think about it, but. Muki was clearly surprised by the Ipon call on the throw against him. So he ends up with the silver. The one bronze medal winner was Alan Kubetsov of Russia. And the other bronze medal winner was uh, Saeed Molai, the current world champion, uh, defeating Kazan Kalmerzaev uh, of Russia. Now, Ruslan Musayev was the person that, well, not only lost to Kubetsov uh, in, in the bronze medal final, but... He was the person that threw Molai uh, in that contest I talked about earlier where, where uh, Molai had just basically given up the score, which would have prevented him from facing Sagi Muki, uh, presumably into the final or the risk of him fighting uh, in Israeli. And again, it's such a shame. And it's clear to me that that was not his call. In the under 90 kilo division, you have Dongham Gwak of South Korea defeating Islam Bozbaev of Kazakhstan. And I got to tell you, boy, the South Koreans, their judo is just really something else to behold. They're, they, just, they just really have a beautiful approach to, to, to their stand-up and their posture and, and the way that they move and attack. It's, it's, it's really something else to see. It's just really I just love watching any Korean fight in any in any uh competition so and and Guac is certainly no exception. The bronze medal winners were Kenta Nagasawa defeating uh countryman Sochiro Mukai by via Osaikomi and Golden Score. And the other bronze medal winner was Christian Toth of Hungary defeating Lee Kochman of Israel. In the under 100 kilo division you had Varlam Libertiliani of Georgia defeating Aaron Wolf of Japan. I got to tell you, in this match, I really thought Lipertiliani got Aaron Wolf with any pawn. Um, but the judge called it a Wazari. I'm guessing that what the judge saw was that he over-rotated to his side. It was very close. And look, again, I'm not criticizing the officiating because, as I've said it before, I'll say it again. These are the best in the world, and they are at the they are the best at what they do. And it's really easy to criticize refs in any sport. So I'm not really going to do that here. I'll trust his judgment. But um, boy, that was awfully close. But uh, Lippertetliani manages to hold on for the victory in the gold medal, which obviously means Aaron Wolf gets the silver. 
Uh, for the bronze medal, uh, one of the bronze medals goes to Guham Cho of South Korea with a beautiful uh, drop sail Yatoshi against uh, Nilaz Bilalov of Russia. Bilalov, sorry. And the other bronze medal goes to Peter Palchik of Israel who defeated uh, Zlalko Kumrik of Croatia. The plus 100 kilo division was won by Sungmin Kim of South Korea defeating Hisayoshi Hawasawa of Japan. Uh, Hawasawa was going in for what I believe to be an Uchimata and he lost his balance so so Kim ends up kind of just shoving him to his back. It was a solid shove, but a shove nonetheless. So that that's enough to earn him an Nippon and certainly the gold medal in this division. Ushangi Kokoruri of Azerbaijan defeated Orz Sasson of Israel. Boy, Kokoruri really dominated Sasson in this particular contest. Um, and the other bronze medal goes to Kokoro Ka- uh, Kageura of Japan defeating Henk Grohl of the Netherlands. And as I mentioned earlier in this in this segment, uh, certainly absent was Teddy Renner and Guram Tushishvili. And without those two gentlemen competing, the division is just not the same. Now moving over to the women's side, uh, in the under 48 kilo division, you have Amy Kondo defeating Distria Krasnicki of Kosovo. Amy Kondo is from Japan. She had quite literally a picture-perfect Kouchigari uh, for the Yippon. And boy, did Krasnicki hit the mat hard. I mean, it was just, it was a thing of beauty. I highly recommend you guys see this thing. It was just really, really something else. The bronze medal winners are, oh, oh boy, this is going to be tough. Atong Sekseg, Galabrak of Kazakhstan. I know I got that wrong. Um, defeating Gantapar of Mongolia. And the other bronze medal winner was Melody uh, Vagarni of France, defeating fellow countrywoman M- Melanie Clement. Vagarni had a beautiful Tayatoshi against Clement, and it looked like Clement was significantly larger than her, but uh, apparently they're both under 48 kilos. The under 52 kilo final was an all Japan final with Ai Shishime defeating Natsumi Sonuda uh, via Hansokumagi. This is one of the. Rare instances where a final is ended via Hansokumaki. Thankfully, with the rule changes, we just don't see winner by Shido nearly as much as we used to. And I think that's a good thing. So, Sunodo gets the silver. Uh, one bronze medal goes to Odette uh, Gufrida of Italy. And the other bronze medal goes, goes to Astrag Neto of France. And in a similar way to the plus 100 kilo division for men... The under 52 kilo division without Uta Abe or Majlinda Kalmendi, it's just not the same, no matter what. I, you know, it's just without those two ladies, I was hoping to see them compete in this event, but it just wasn't meant to be for whatever reason. Now, moving on to the under 57 kilo division, um, Crystal Del Gucci of Canada defeats Jessica Klimkate of Canada. It was an all Canadian final. Deguchi uh, managed to hit a drop Seoyotoshi, and that was enough for her to get to Wazari and hold on for the victory. Uh, the bronze medal winners were, let's see, Jisoo Kim of South Korea defe- defeating Rafaela Silva of Brazil. Again, I mentioned it before, Brazil did not have a very good day. And in this division, I would have expected to see Silva at least make it to the, to the podium. The other bronze medal winner was Momo Tamaoki of Japan defeating... Uh, uh, you know what? I'm not even going to try. I'm sorry. <laughs> um, a Mongolian. I'll just put it that way. Le- 
Hagvatogo of Mongolia. Hopefully I got that somewhat right. All right, moving on to the under 63 kilo division. Now here we go. This is the matchup, one of the key matchups that I was hoping to see. And it came to fruition. Uh, Clarice Abagnenu of France defeated Tina Turstenjak of Slovenia. Now, these two women are amazing. And they are the tops of their division, in, in my opinion. And it was great to have this kind of a final at uh, this kind of event at the Paris Grand Slam. And for me, if we can't get Uta Abe versus Majlinda Kelmendi, this is the next best thing. Now, Abagnenu won in golden score. Again, one of these techniques where, in this case, Tursten Jack landed on her stomach, but then she was rolled onto her back. I don't like that call. I mean, France liked it, but I certainly didn't. And it's just, even with the modified rule changes, where you land first should matter. And landing mostly on your stomach and just being yanked over onto your back. That's not that's not Wazari. That shouldn't be called Wazari. And I don't I, I don't like that one bit. But regardless of that, it's not my call. So congratulations to Clarissa Bignenu. The bronze medal winners in this division was Andrea Leski of Slovenia defeating Amy Nouchi of Japan. And the other bronze medal winner was uh, Nami uh, Nabikura of Japan defeating Catherine uh, Boschman Pinard of Canada. In the under 70 kilo division, it was won by Yoko Ono. Um, yeah, obviously not that Yoko Ono. Uh, but Yoko Ono of Japan defeating Margot uh, Pinot of France. And boy, Ono won by Hansoku Maki. And the crowd was livid, but I don't know what they were seeing. Because what I was seeing was Margot Pinot doing nothing out there toward, toward the end of that contest. And she rightfully deserved that third Shido. And the crowd was very disfo uh, was very vocal about their displeasure. For a moment, I thought they were going to start chucking cheese and wine right into the middle of the tatami. So, uh, you know, they, they were booing, they were whistling, which I guess over there, whistling is equivalent to booing. So, yeah, they were pretty rambunctious uh, over that loss. But but Yoko Ono certainly deserved the win there. The bronze medal winners uh, were Barbara Timo of Portugal. And Saki Nizoi of Japan defeating Marie-Yves Gahi, which this time around, the, the, the French crowd uh, certainly appreciated Nizoi's win. The under-78 kilo division was won by Madeleine uh, Malonga of France defeating Louise Malzahn of Germany uh, via Hansuku Maki. Malzahn was complaining that, which is usually how it goes, if, if nobody's really initiating the attack, they... You know, one person complains that the other person was stiff-arming and not doing anything, but it doesn't matter. Malgona is awarded the victory here. The bronze medal winners were Mami Umeki of Japan defeating uh, Rika Sato of Japan. And Fei Chen of China is the other bronze medal winner defeating uh, Katie Yitz Brown of Great Britain. And last but not least... The plus 78 kilo division was win won by Idalis Ortiz of Cuba, defeating uh, Irina uh, Kinzerka of Azerbaijan. Now, Ortiz had a great uh, drop Sayoya Toshi, which, again, I, I'm, I'm surprised the ref didn't call it any pawn. It was very, very close, but like I said before, I'll trust his judgment over mine. 
but uh, she gets that early in the contest and manages to hold on uh, uh, for the victory. The bronze medal winners were Min Jeong Kim of South Korea, and the other one winner was Akira Sone of Japan. And again, like just like with the plus hundred kilo division, like with the under fifty two kilo division, when Sarah Asahina is not competing, it's just not the same. At least for me, she's my favorite to watch in this division. I was looking forward to seeing her compete, but perhaps she's injured. Perhaps she's just on vacation. Who knows? But um, Sarah Asahina was a no-show in this event like I I covered earlier. Now, coming up in about two weeks is the Dusseldorf Grand Slam. And according to the IJF site, am, am I seeing this right? They've got 701 athletes registered across 98 nations. That that's an insane number. I thought I thought the Paris Grand Slam was huge. This is this looks to be an even bigger event. So after taking a quick peek of who the athletes are competing if if the if the list is correct, it looks like Majlinda Kelmendi will be competing in this event, but Uta Abe will not be at this event. Frank DeWitt looks like he's going to be at this event, but uh, I don't think Teddy Renner is going to be here. Goose J. Steenhuis is going to be here. Let's see, who else is going to be here that wasn't at this event? Um, Tushishvili will not be at this event, um, but Sarah Asahina will be at this event, so that's good to see. And let's see, who else was I keeping an eye on? Oh, Daria Bilodid will not be at this event. So regardless of that, with so many athletes, I'm sure it's going to be a tremendous event. I don't know, I, I or I highly doubt that uh, uh, Marius Vizu will do another Twitter Q and A ahead or after this event, but um, but yeah, so that's going to be in two weeks or so, and I will do my best to watch as many live events as I can. Um, my weekends are typically full, so I try and catch up throughout the weekend. But um, if I don't do that, I try and do it throughout the week, and then I'll definitely. On my next episode, uh, along with the interviews, I will cover the event. So, so I do. That is something to look forward to. I'm really looking forward to this event, especially with some of the names that I know that are going to be there. All right, I I think it's about time for me to put this episode out of its misery. Uh, this is not one of my better one. So, in review, I I took a run at that farce called Valentine's Day. I, uh, I openly questioned USA Judo and what they're doing for like the 10,000th time on this podcast. What else did I do? Oh, yeah. I made fun of Canada for being America Junior. Now, you guys know that I love you. I love Canada. Dry. And I also suggested Teddy Renner's training routine in the next year uh, will include pushing away from the buffet table. And saying that I'm full. So yeah, that's an episode that I can be proud of. If there is a an award show for podcasts, I'm going to submit this for, for episode of the year. Now one last thing about Teddy Renair, you know, all, all jokes aside, I watched him do Ron Dory um, after the Paris Grand Slam. Uh, Hans of JudoInside.com had posted a video on his Instagram uh, as a story of Teddy Renair doing Ron Dory. And look, despite the pounds that he's put on, Man, that guy is a force. And yeah, I get it's just Rondori, but but he chucked Harasawa with a with a sacrifice technique and and he also threw Sheraz Dishvili of Spain like it was nothing. Now granted, Renair probably has about a hundred and forty pound advantage over him, but still we're talking about two world champions doing Rondori and and uh Teddy looks sharp. 
Now, I thought I read somewhere that he might be competing at the Marrakesh Grand Prix. I don't know that for sure. I, I checked the listings, and I don't see his name on there. doesn't mean he won't be there, but um, where, where the heck did I read that he was going to be in that Marrakesh? I, I don't know. All right, wh whatever. I'm done. So with that, I hope you guys have a great day. I hope you guys have a great rest of the week. Train hard. Stay safe out there. And until next time, I'm out. Open Gangnam Style. Gangnam Style.